man, some of these games are so good. Some of these atmospheres are so electric. You could just feel it through the TV screen. And here we are talking about nerds as potential GMs. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins, and it comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers who are headed toward the NFL draft this week and the Pirates who are just bleeping amazing right now. But on this program, yes, nerds, that's where we're headed. It looks like Fenway Sports Group, based on their own words, not to mention some of their own precedent with the teams that they actually care about, at least care enough to go see their games, have a preference for the analytical. And that is great. That is ideal for this situation. If you had pulled someone out of uh, a Harvard math class who was the worst student at the university, who was just a straight F student, and that person had never heard of hockey, you could have given them five minutes to veto the Mikhail Granlin trade. And I mean veto it hard because... It didn't take much to see that it was going to require a significant revival on Granlin's part, which I, I thought that there was at least a chance of that happening at the time, being that you know he's been a good player at different points in his career. Maybe he was nursing an injury. Maybe the Penguins knew something beyond analytics that would have suggested that he was underutilized or underappreciated or whatever. Nope. <laughs> There was nothing. There was nothing underlying. So in that event, the analytics alone tell the tale. The analytics further never would have allowed for the Seattle expansion draft debacle to happen. Jared McCann would have stayed in Pittsburgh, ideally would have gotten a lot of this money that went to other people and become a big, big player here. Brandon Tanev would have hung around. Heck, don't even get me started on what could have happened as related to goaltending. So I'll repeat, this franchise needs to get way more analytically inclined. It also needs to get a lot more analytically uh, involved and diverse. And by that, I mean expanding. That was something that Ron Hextall had claimed was happening under his watch. But when he's only ever communicating with one guy, with Chris Pryor, his assistant, it doesn't matter what else anybody else is studying or researching or, for that matter, scouting. Old school style. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Most GMs come from the assistant GM ranks. Either that or they were former GMs in the National Hockey League. That's just how it goes. That's how it's gone for a long, long time. One of the names that's come to the forefront, not related to actual, like, oh, the Penguins have an interest uh, in this individual or this guy has an interest in whatever. It's not any of that. It's just there's a pool of names, people who interview fairly regularly for these positions, and eventually you knock on the door enough, you do get your chance. Eric Tulski is the assistant GM in Raleigh. He's been with the Hurricanes for about a decade now. 
And his background before hockey was that he had a BA in chemistry and physics from Harvard, a PhD in chemistry from the University of California, Berkeley. He worked in the high-tech industry for 12 years, managing teams of researchers focused on nanotechnology to solve problems in DNA sequencing, solar energy displays, and energy storage, and he holds 19 U.S. patents. That's right out of the Hurricanes Media Guide. Wow! Dude! Why are you involved in hockey at all? I mean, you should be, like, saving the planet or something. But this is this is not the most uncommon path in professional sports anymore. Baseball paved the way in this regard. And we've seen baseball GMs succeed to various degrees. It hasn't been overwhelming, and at times there's been either a pushback or actual moves made to kind of swing things back more toward the natural, you know, scouting and developing and everything else without worrying uh, that the numbers be placed at the forefront. There's always room for the numbers. You'd have to be nuts to ignore the numbers, but that they're not front and center. Where hockey's concerned, this is dangerous territory, okay? Because baseball analytics, by necessity, given the nature of the sport and given the nature of the volume of games and the volume of uh, predictable events, just lent itself to this. Hockey isn't that. And hockey has, at least to the public's eye, precious little data that's available. What do I mean when I say that? Well, consider that when we talk about Corsi and Fenwick and uh, these various other uh, things that get cited regularly, including by me in the work that I do, they're all based on shots on goal or shot attempts. Why? Because we don't have more intricate data than that. The NHL has never given out uh, amazing information that we all know that they have access to. How many touches on a puck does a player have over the course of a given game? Kind of tells you a little bit about how involved he is. Where are those touches occurring Tells you how well the team is doing when that player is on the ice. You add it up, you extrapolate it over time, and you have a lot better sense for what you're getting out of that one skater. We don't see that, and as a result, hockey's analytics that become known to the fans, the media, and everybody else who's outside the actual you know, inner circles of these teams is just about as vapid as it sounds. There isn't much to it. But on the inside, if you're doing this right and you're utilizing your own coaches to assist you, and here's where that matters. If Marcus Pedersen's got three options coming out of the zone and he makes the completely wrong decision, even if that pass connects, that's something that's a strike against him in an evaluation. Do you follow me? Whereas the other thing could be true. He could make exactly the right decision and just make a physical error, make a lousy pass, make a giveaway. It's a strike against him in one regard, but not in the other. That's where coaches are really valuable, assistant coaches. Head coaches wouldn't have time for that sort of thing. If you can find a GM who can build a real live analytics department that's way ahead of what's available to the public, and I mean miles and miles ahead, 
but ideally is also better than what your competition is doing. That's a big, big head start in terms of player evaluation, which is only about 90% of what a GM should be doing. But there's more to it. There is, and that's what I'm going to get into on tomorrow's episode. When we come back, J1Q. comes from John Federico, and I'm going to preface this by saying it is one of many that takes very strong opposition to my stance on Mike Sullivan that I believe in him as a head coach. I believe he's one of the better head coaches in the NHL, and I believe that he was given a really rotten hand over the past couple of years by Ron Hextall. John says, can we finally Hold Sullivan accountable a little bit for how this team failed to make the playoffs. I am sick of people defending this guy after multiple seasons now under his coaching where the Penguins have fallen short due to an epic collapse or the team just falling flat. Losing to Chicago and Columbus at the end of the season was inexcusable. I'm starting to think he's part of the problem from how often he was outcoached this season. Team has fallen short and it just seems to be getting worse. Team couldn't hold a lead to save their lives. That's on coaching. When they fall behind, they have no answers. That's on coaching. Sure, personnel has a lot to do with it. I'm sorry. But if he doesn't have what he needs, he can't force them to play a system they can't do and adapt his game plan to something that'll be successful. Oh, okay. I'm going to go through some of this. First of all, can we hold Sullivan accountable a little bit? If you're talking about me, I'm not in a position to hold him accountable. If you're talking about me giving commentary on Daily Shot of Penguins or in written form on DK Pittsburgh Sports, I can do that. That's not holding anybody accountable. The one and only way that anybody holds anybody accountable is either to give them instructions, to change their roles, or, you know, to fire them. And as I have said on this show, my hope if not necessarily the expectation, is that this next GM will have enough stones to come in and say, hey, I've been going through this game film from last season. And wow, man, what were you what were you thinking here? What was this all about? What was that? all? Why did you play this guy? What didn't you like about that guy? And you have to put yourself in a position where you're in charge. You are above the head coach. Yes, the Fenway Sports Group people can love Sully to death, in part because he's a Boston guy like they are. But you have to bring in a GM who has legitimate authority. But where you lose me here along the way, John, is the couple of things. One, I mean, like I could quibble. You mentioned losing to Chicago and Columbus at the end of the season was inexcusable. The Columbus game, you know that meant absolutely nothing. So throwing that in is lousy. Uh, Chicago, that was horrible enough. You didn't have to add anything else. Okay, that that was a failure on everyone's part, including Sullivan's. Now, when you say that he was outcoached, all season, you don't back that up with anything. You know, when the Penguins were the hottest team in the NHL from Thanksgiving to Christmas, was he out coaching everybody else? No, not really. Players were just performing. His coaching style, as you point out yourself in his system, don't really change much. 
To which you say, well, if you have these kinds of players, why doesn't he change the system? And I hear this one a lot, too. To me, it's actually really kind of lazy. Because if you were watching these games, and it sure sounds from your passionate interest here, John, that you were, and you think that that version of Jeff Carter or the Brian Dumoulin that we watched stumbling around for five of the six months of this season were going to work with a system adjustment, then you're out of your mind with all due respect. If you think that there was some system that you could put in that would get Carter alone engaged or Brock McGinn or Kasperi Kapanen, no, no, no. You also say, and this is where it started to come across as flailing, that the, the Penguins wouldn't battle back from deficits. Dude, they did this all the time. That's all they did. As a matter of fact, they would fall behind early and they'd battle back relentlessly. It became the theme of the season. They were the ultimate second period NHL roster. But you also throw in on your own some hems and haws and I think and it seems like and whatever else here. And that's where I'll keep coming back at these these sentiments in general that it's people looking to throw the baby out with the bathwater or it's people who don't understand what it is that GMs and people behind the scenes do. But when they're watching the games on TV, they see the head coach. That's the figurehead. That's the face that I'm mad at during the game. I mean, everyone's free to keep these coming. I'm perfectly happy to have any feedback at all to this show. I'm grateful that you listen. But you're not turning me around on this coach at this point in time. I'm sorry. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We will do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.